Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to your next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. On the show today, I have none other than the marksman himself, James Wilstrop. A real treat and honor to be able to get someone like James on the show to talk about the mind and have a full, frank and deep conversation in regard to his mental toughness, where he thinks he's evolved it from, how he thinks he cultivates it and reliving some really cool moments in his career. It was a real pleasure for me to sit down with James for this hour and take this look at his mind and he's such a deep thinker. There's so much that he thinks about, that he questions, that he's still curious about at this point in his career. So looking quickly at some of his titles and some of his CV, it's it's, it's pretty amazing and I've, I've just picked a few out to make note of. He was the most successful British junior player of all time and he won three British junior open titles as well as the European individual title as well as a world junior title. So you can't get much more on your CV as a junior. He was also a former world number one and won the Commonwealth gold medal in the singles, which we relive and we go through that story about that event and the week all around that event. 
We have a look at the environment of Pontefract and growing up there, which has been a massive contributor to his success and his mental toughness. As I said, we relive some of these really key moments in his career from Commonwealth Games medalist to that run of 15 matches that, that got him to become world number one and what was going on in the mind, what he was telling himself, how he was thinking about things, how he was looking and analyzing things along the way. We talk a lot about his inner voice during pressure situations and how this has been a real help to him and how he looks to cultivate this inner voice and maybe alongside this the aspect of visualizations, how visualizations has played a massive contributory part to his titles, his success and his sustained ability to keep loving the game, to keep coming back and to keep at it for so many years. We also look at some tips and advice on how to play at key moments and matches. So some really good things for everyone to extract and look at what they're doing at these key moments in the match. And we also have a bit of a look at his second book, which has come out, which is called Interviews with Inspiration. I've got myself a copy so far and I'm devouring it and I'm loving it a bit, but I'm actually taking so many notes in it. So I'm not actually reading it cover to cover because there's so many things that he talks about with these amazing athletes and people of success throughout the years. And as I'm reading it, I'm I'm kind of thinking that this is amazing. It's, it's similar to what I wanted to try and do with the Squash Mind podcast series is get inside the mind of these high performers, high achievers and understand what makes them tick. So it seemed the appropriate time for us to have this chat as his book was coming out. And I love it. And it's a huge recommendation for me, anyone wanting to get inside the mind of these high performers, both in and outside of squash. It's just absolutely brilliant. And actually, he doesn't interview any squash players. He gives us comments on them, and it's all sports people outside of squash, but also people in the acting industry and people in the uh, chef, basically. So it's a, it's a real wide range. But this has been a super fun chat to relive some of these stories and memory, memories with James. He's an absolute gentleman. I, I feel honored to be able to be able to text him and call him and, and have these type of chats. So I hope you'll get a lot of lot out of this conversation between myself and James Wallstrop. James Wallstrop, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you getting on? Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, yeah, ho- hope you are too. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, absolute pleasure. It's, it's you know, it, when I was thinking of the people I wanted to interview um, and just have a chat with and just to understand parts of the mind and, and, and sustain success, you are, you are very high up on that list. So thank you for giving me some of this time. Um, we, we, we spoke, what, maybe was it three years ago now when I was doing that bit of a research project and that was fun and I, I enjoyed that and went into the science side. But yeah, just really curious to see your more, you know, not necessarily unscientific side but just the more natural side of things and yeah so no thanks for that and um in well i think a great place to start and kick off is you know growing up in the hallowed pontefract you know very famous part of the world for squash great documentaries been done by squash skills um and could you reflect on this environment uh, growing up and and you know the ex- and how it made you look at the game because it, it feels like it's producing players that that look at the game in a very unique way yeah, I mean, um, thanks for that, and and uh, nice, nice being here. Yeah, I mean, the squash skills documentary was just so beautiful. I mean, I was very, uh, very touched watching it, and um, um, lovely to have that sort of document, really. To, to mm. you know, obviously for Malcolm as well, and just, just to sort of you see what see you know see that sort of testimony to what he does and what the club does, and yeah, it is it is unique. I think it's um, what are the sort of unique things that we can say about it. I think obviously you've got Malcolm at the centre of it, um, 
and um, I think it, it, people obviously quite quite interested in him because he's he's very individual, very uh, very different. There's there's nobody quite like him, is there? And we, we all know that. And he's he's sort of um, personality. The there's a, there's, a, there's an element of um, what would you call it sort of uh, you know piss take or um that sort of comes with him um i don't know yeah you probably have to have a sense of humor to get on with him almost and to, to understand because i think a lot of people take him take it seriously what he's saying all the time and, and sometimes it is very serious but he's, he's obviously a big disciplinarian mm-hmm. and, and those are his basic tenets you know it's not based around better someone's better and someone's not as good or levels it's based around behavior and those are his principles and if if people conduct themselves well are respectful to others treat referees with this respect then they are welcome at Pontefract Mm. so I think that's sort of the key thing that it's built upon and then you've got his systems which are based around groups and friendship and um, play-based sort of systems that aren't particularly theoretical certainly earlier on Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I've hardly had, you know, I've very, very rarely had sessions. Um, I mean, I've been on court with him alone in my time, but not really to sort of dissect technique to any massive length. Um, you know, his his way is quite interesting because it's not it's not all about him just talking about theory. It's about him allowing his players, and I think this has been said a lot, and it was said in the documentary that. He allows his players to sort of find their way and in their own sort of style. So he's not implementing a particular style on players and they're, they're sort of learning a lot, especially as juniors are learning through play. And um, he gets, he's one thing I've done, one thing I've noticed is he gets them into quite difficult situations, sort of playing like alley games and things like that, when you would think they're not actually ready. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this and it's really interesting. And I remember it happening when I was learning to drive um, I had a couple of different teachers and I responded much better to the one that actually let me just drive. Right. When it, when the other person just let me, you know, was talking and throwing things at me. And I suppose it's a little bit the same with French or learning languages and all this sort of thing. Sometimes if you just thrown in and you try and find your way and you, you listen to the language and you pick things up. Uh, and I feel like that's a, perhaps a, a parallel that, you know, I could apply to him. I feel like he lets players just kind of work it out almost. And he will direct and he will say slight bits of technique, but um, pretty much his players will will find it. And um, and then that means they're all different, um, which, you know, a lot's been said about that. If you talk about Lee and myself, for instance, you know, people make, you know, mention that quite a lot because Lee is very different to myself, but we basically grew up together in his system, but we just weren't clones. So... Mm-hmm um you know it's uh it's a really fascinating thing and then I think what he does is he turns up mm-hmm. and his coaches turn up so they're there every week and these kids are getting quite cheap sessions you know so he doesn't charge loads of money for like one-to-one sessions he, he, he charges a pittance you know no money for um <laughs> you know an hour's an hour's uh coaching and an hour and a half uh, sometimes and so these kids are building up these hours in, in a fun environment, which is sociable and adults, not just mm-hmm. kids, but um, they're building up all this sort of squash knowledge and um, court craft sort of quite naturally through play quite cheaply. And economically, it works for him because if he has five or six on a court, he's getting he's getting money in from those five people. And even though mm-hmm. it's small amounts um, and, you know, they're just hit, they're probably hitting a lot of balls and mm. um you know, so I think that's the way it works. And I think it's, it's been unbelievably successful. And 
you know, I'm certainly not saying for a minute that squash can't be theoretical and, and, and you can really look deep into it. And of course you can, that's absolutely true. But, um, you know, a lot of it is getting on there, working it out. And, it's, you know, when kids learn to find their own ways as well, that's mm-hmm. it's a great life lesson, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where you're not just yeah. being told everything and given every answer, you, you're letting them work it out. So, yeah. you know, that was a long-winded you know, chat about what he does, but trying to encompass it. I think those are the, the basic principles of how it works and why it works. And yeah, not, not long-winded at all. I, I was scribbling some notes down as you were talking there. And um, two big things that came out of that a little bit for me, and this is a common thread I'm starting to pick up on with successful, I suppose, people and, and both in squash and outside of squash, manners. Manners has been a big one that I've started to discover a lot. You know, so Alex Ferguson was really big on the please and thank yous and, you know, creating that better, better person. Actually, you maybe coaches should be more custodians of creating better people first and they can translate into better athletes later on. So it sounds like he was really big on the manners. And then the second thing where it maybe gets into the more resilience, mental toughness side of things is the environment design. Actually, what environments are you being exposed to continually that gets you to think on your feet, that gets you to adapt, that gets you to, you know, be resilient when you need to in a match. If you get spoon fed the whole time and you get told A leads to B leads to C, hey, you know what, when the pressure hits in a match, it, it might not stack up. Would, would you say that that's a summary of, of the environment? 100%. I mean, that's totally, totally, totally great what you said there. And, um, you know, uh, it, it does happen in certain areas of the world. I mean, I know... Um, you know, in America, for instance, um, I know that there's a big one-to-one thing and I know that there's more, you know, just making very sort of um, distant comparisons here. And, you know, I'm not trying to generalize at all because I know a lot of people in America work very differently. And, but, but just as a, as a general rule, you often find that when I've been over there watching the US Junior Opens and things, you know, they'll, they'll often pay for coaches to yeah. actually come to the yeah. tournaments yeah. and work with them. Uh, now, you know, Malcolm, I mean, you parents just wouldn't pay a coach over here to go to a tournament just wouldn't doesn't work really and you know it just it's just not really a thought so often you know and and even me I was his son I would he would just put me in a car with the team manager of the Yorkshire team I'm sure you you recognize this sort of scenario and and you go and you know I used to play Metro League Leeds Metro Yorkshire League and he would never come to a match he would be I'd be in the car with the team captain or whoever was driving the car that night and Mm -hmm you know these experiences for young kids you know it just you just work it out or you you work it out with your teammate and you know someone's going to be coming and giving you advice in between games and it's not an expert it's just someone you have to work it out with and um that that is i think what some people are missing they just think right we'll get the coach in and um it's not it's just not always the the best long-term answer coaching is of course as i've said that i don't want to decry coaching anyway it's it's vital but it's uh there has to be an element of balance in which the the player can as you've quite rightly said work it out work through situations on their own because even you know i've I've won sort of big you know uh, platinum psa you know some of the biggest moments of my career i had to i had to do it on my own and when you know i remember winning the q8 open and um you know it was, i was almost you know it was that win was taking me closer to get to world number one i mean the, the stakes were so high but at the time you know malcolm didn't come with me david didn't come with me nobody was with me <clears throat> you know everything was over the phone if if i wanted to contact them and um, and I just think that's probably I'd be, I was able to deal with that because we're not mollycoddled, are we? We're not. We haven't got an entourage, squash players, and I think it's a good it's a good thing, you know. 
Yeah. You've got to learn and deal with these situations. Essentially, you're on your own anyway. However much of a team you have behind you, they can't do it for you. You know, you have to do it from yourself. So there's no point in leaning on people too much because it's you that has to do it. Mm. I think. That totally resonates with me that, um, you know, just, just reflecting back at being a youngster, being thrown into adult leagues, I think that's one of the best learning curves I had in my life. And, you know, if I hadn't been given the manners as a child, you know, those adults would have probably kicked me out or would have hated that experience. But I think the manners then led me to a place where I could learn more from those people. And then, yeah, I, I just think there's, there's so much to be said for that growing and learning on your own. But equally so, you have that love and support off the court. It's not like Malcolm would say, go do it. And there were no love and support. So I think it's always important to understand that, that, that safety net as well. And it sounds like you got that balance just about one, well, not just about right. Got it perfectly yeah. right in the long yeah. term. Yeah. And good, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, of course. I mean, Malcolm and, you know, my mom and dad were, were absolutely, they, 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 it sounds like what, what you maybe had, it was, it was just, it was just there and there would be at some tournaments and there, there would be, there would not be at others. And, mm. and that was really healthy because yeah. if there were every single tournament, seeing every match and look, watching every warm up and do it, that's just like, it's, yeah. it's overkill, I think for a kid. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I just, I just, there's a balance, isn't there quite like, like you said, just to find as, as certainly as a parent or a coach, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and some of my again love my parents watching me, but some of my my best tournaments was when they just dropped me off for the <clears> weekend. <throat> I would see them in the evening. They dropped me off in the morning, and it was the interaction with my mates, the the, the running yeah. behind the squash courts, mucking around. Exactly. Yeah, and just leaving like, you to it. Those were the bit. I, yeah, I, I can't. You know, and we're talking Zimbabwe here. We're not talking the biggest. Yeah. Thing. Actually, winning tournaments in Zimbabwe didn't really mean much. It was more yeah. the I just want to hang out with my mates. Yeah. And, you know, and then I reflect on some of the tournaments I go to now and you see the parents doing everything with the kids, the warm up, the nutrition, you know, do, like there's a continual overbearing thing. And exactly. That, you yeah. said it, balance. Balance is the word. Yeah. You want that love and support, but you want yeah. to take the reins off. And, and how great was it? I mean, your mum, yeah. I'll never forget. <laughs> I mean, she was cheering for me, for goodness sake. I mean, <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I mean, I still remember it. I hear, I hear her now, you know, because there were big matches in my junior thing, but yeah. that's a good thing. You know, she wasn't just thinking about you or, you know, she, yeah, and that's the same with Malcolm. He, he, people talk to me, mention me sometimes to me. He's like, well, I've, I've got more than James think about he's my son yeah and I care about him but you know and and obviously he's going to care about me probably more than anyone else to me his son but he says I've got I've got loads of kids that I worry about and talk about and care yeah. about and I thought that you know that's an example you, you know your mum that day you know in, in Italy and yeah <laughs> you know she spent a time you know were you know watching other things as well and taking in other other yeah. players and Oh, mate, well, you honestly, you've just given me some goosebumps there because that's a real <laughs> fun memory. And my mom talks very fondly of that time. And yeah, well, then she's from, you know, the Lake District. So there was a, maybe a bit of a connection there. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, but she always talks very fondly of that time watching you, cheering was, you on. But oh, that was lovely. But that, that probably reflects to the person you were, the manners, the, the, <clears> the warmth you had. You know, if, if you were maybe, I don't know, we had an entourage around you and you're a little bit more channel tunnel vision, you know what? That, yeah connection might not have happened so no thanks sure. and i remember in italy and yeah my mom <laughs> yeah. is not watching our matches she's more interested in watching you <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. brilliant brilliant yeah so um having a little bit of look at your junior career but you, you're the most successful british junior player of all time you know you've won countless titles in particular your three british junior open titles and also at the end of your junior career you won the european and world junior titles 
Can you talk us through that little period of your life and, and what do you think contributed to that level of sustained success? You might have touched on a few things already there, but yeah, what, what was the sustained success as a junior, do you think? Well, I think um, when I've talked about Malcolm's sort of influence and my parental influence, I think it was, funnily enough with me, I think it was actually the opposite way around. Um, I was almost the one that was a bit over, I was almost over-inspired or over overexcited about being successful at squash and um I think I just got so obsessed from a very young age with it that it took me to sort of search for these achievements so so early so you know for instance I just remember you know I remember doing these warm-ups um you know I didn't really know what I was doing probably but I was warming up and I knew that warming up was right and I'd, I'd heard the things and I, you know, I listened to people and but I just remember there was sort of like 45 minute hour long warm-ups and I was sort of 12 year old, 12 years old. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And of year olds don't really need a warm-up, do they? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. No, they don't. And uh, maybe a little bit might have been good, but it, I just, I took it to such extremes and it was, but it was all in, in, in a, from the right place. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was the opposite of what we were just talking about then. It wasn't where the parents were saying, go and warm up, go and warm up. If anything, they were like, just relax, relax a bit. Don't don't go and spend two hours warming up when you've got a big match ahead and um, or you want to try and play well. And, um, you know, Malcolm's always been one anyway. For never, he's never overtrained anyone. He doesn't overtrain. He undertrains, actually, um, if anything. Um, you know, I always want to do more. And, but he, he knows, he's very quite, quite good at knowing when to stop, um, which, is, which is good in a coach. Um, especially when a player gets very obsessed like me so yeah so I just remember being very obsessed early and mm. I think that probably took me to those heights if you like as a junior yeah. because I was just I was really dedicated I mean I just wanted I just wanted so badly to to be good at the game and I you know I dreamt about the, the glass court and if I ever went to watch a big tournament it would just it was like um it would just captivate me just to extremes. I just can't even explain to people. I mean, I, I don't know whether kids get it now because it's much more available, but I was, you know, just so, so absorbed by it. I was writing notes. I remember being at tournaments, having a notepad out, writing things down, watching the great players and the influence it had on me. I just can't, I can't uh, convey. So there was no wonder really that I would do anything to, I knew what I wanted to do. And um, mm. I think I just, I just trained really, quite quite maturely and quite just just probably too more than I probably needed to and but it's it got me very good and it you know I worked very hard um, but it was it was hard work that was 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 healthy because it came right from me it wasn't exactly wasn't anyone else and it certainly wasn't parental it was yeah. it was just what I wanted to do it and, and if you still reflect back at those junior days amazing to have that again we could get into the whole nature nurture debate you know there was obviously something there within you that was driven towards that did you feel it ever spilled over too much obviously you had the balance of Malcolm and and you met your mom like saying little settle balance but could could you could you say that it, it could have become a bit of a, a sick obsession at some point any, any thoughts on that yeah I think I think at times it did and certainly as it became into the yeah I, it did it, and it, when I got into the early parts of the senior career and um, chasing, you know, the, the number one position in the world and all this sort of business. Um, it, at times, there's no question it did. And right. Right. Uh, sometimes it would be minor. Sometimes it would 
really explode into a real issue which i've you know sort of written about before and things um uh sometimes it would surface in you know i get to a league match and i've just finally hit the end of the road and i can't i just can't possibly go anymore and have pushed myself any further um but it you know and sometimes it would be sleeping would be difficult and these sorts of issues and it, it was it was just out of out of whack really because yeah. i lost i lost perspective and it was all about this sport and being the best and oh my goodness you know if you get wrapped up in that all day long it's it's a problem because that's not life it's not what is going to ever define you if you ever if you fail to do these things what what the hell does it matter you know you're just a person and you've got people around you and you know we know what the important things are love and families and people that you know, not not winning in squash matches and mm. um, there's nothing wrong with it being important because because it is but I got I got that out of hand and uh, you know even early on I think I did and I think it's probably taken age and time and surgery and having children and all these things yeah. that come together in your 30s or what, what like it has done for me and I'm, maybe you can relate but you you, you get a certain perspective mm-hmm. and you see things clearer and um and I think yeah, I, I think, think yeah it got out of hand at times yeah your 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 I suppose if you've got a gauge of importance you know it's it's that 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 gauge definitely does shift with time you know as, as a youngster you're you're striving for those possibly those external things a little bit more you know the, the the gratification of titles and you know the gratification of of people around you and how people might view you in a certain way and yes yeah. you great if you can recognize that and channel it but not not make that your whole identity and that that's where where I'm, I'm really trying to do some work with some of the players is going hey listen yeah. great you have this passion and let's fuel it but let's remember we're, we're hitting a black ball in, in a room like let's let's yeah. get real about like the world and what the bigger picture is and look right you could say this to a 17 18 year old they not they might not be ready to hear it you say that same thing to a 24 year old and they'll hear it yeah. so i think yeah. as a such a fine balance to get that yes you want to make people aware of it but actually sometimes people aren't ready to hear it at certain points as well and and that for me is fascinating to go down there so true so true so true and I, you know you, you people say that question and they're like oh would you do it better and i and i think oh god why didn't i do that when i was 21 why didn't i chill out a little bit when i didn't get the results straight away or you know if i yeah. trained really hard and things weren't working why did i not chill out i, I should have seen it was it was a road. It was it was a continual journey. But you you can't see these things. You want it. You want it now. And you you know, I remember wanting things now. You know, I have to train. I have to put this time, and I have to strive for this because I have to have it. Mm. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. Again, it's like you can't. It's hard. You as a coach, an older person trying to tell a younger person that it's, it's you've got to be very clever about how you convey that because yes, they they just need time to learn it. Completely. And, and again, like I think part of what I'm trying to do and almost my responsibility is that is, is expose people to it. They might not, they might not grasp it now, but you know what, they might've just had a little seed planted and over time they might come back to it. And, you know, you continually nudge and, and I'm not saying my way is the right way by any stretch, but you know, if, if, if a bit of mindfulness comes into their, their day, if they can journal a little bit more, if they can be reflective, if they can have things that aren't just going to bring down the red mist in the short term, you know, and I'm not just talking squash, I'm actually talking more in life. I'm thinking, you know, so when you say about pontefract and you know manners and ethics and morals you know i think there's so many lessons we can take from outside of life and transport them into the squash court but equally so they can also point back to life i think both things can point to each other sure. in a Definitely. really really clever way That's so right. um but let's, let's 
let's let's look at this number one when you got to number one. So in 2011, you had this run of 15 matches in a row undefeated. You picked up three titles along the way, which meant in January 2012, you became the world number one. Um, yeah. Can you reflect on this period of your career? And, and what do you think, again, led to this amazing run? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, it's, it's years and years of effort and, and, and work which have gone in and um, in the background. I think the sort of direct before bit was the summer was very, very good in terms of training. And I put a great few months together. Um, and uh, it just uh, wobbled a bit. I wobbled actually quite badly the first few, few months of that, that new season. Um, the world teams was was it was a nightmare in in um, Paderborn. It was one of the most disappointing things I, in terms of playing squash matches because of you know we'd lost I lost the sort of big big match for England and obviously that in, that that then brings in other teammates and that was that was a tough loss because it let it let them down to, so to speak. But um, things I think it was all based around the fact that I thought everything was great because the training had been so good. Right. Um, but I learned I learned an incredible lesson that that autumn because I kept sort of plugging away, working away. The training kept going well. I kept topping it up and I was getting on court, you know, after I'd lose in the semifinals and I was back on court the next day, pushing, pushing, pushing. And then I sort of went to Rotterdam, lost in the semis of the world championships. And something just that night, I remember having a few drinks and um just thinking this is just really pissing me off now I, I you know I put so much in everything looks good training wise and it's just not happening the way I want it to again and it you know you're 27 20 I don't remember how old I was at that point 28 and time's going by and people talk about you as being future to world number one whatever all this stuff hmm. which again is all this rubbish that yeah you, just, so, you, don't, so need, yeah, you don't, don't need to want. be thinking, thinking about this but you do at 27 you do think about it and um, so anyway, I just I think I had a really steady couple of weeks. Okay. Had a drink, um, you know, had a, had a night night a, a fun night with people. I remember it really clearly. Um, the next week we sort of had some family time. Um, I've actually written a quite a big bit on this in in the book because it was a big big thing actually to to try and understand from development wise. And then that let that sort of week off the letting go was. Um, massive because I then went to Hong Kong I think a week after uh, I'd maybe had like a one physio session of maybe a couple of very steady hits but I'd hardly trained for sort of not you know seven to ten days got to Hong Kong you know did some good hits some good training as I got there got 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 going again and then that was it three tournament wins on the trot amazing um, and it just everything slotted together mm-hmm. and I just thought I just thought I was so worried, so like confused in sort of September, October when things weren't happening. And it just made me realize that work that you do is very important, mm. but you can't just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. I needed that little time where my mind had almost given up. I'd sort of said, <laughs> I don't care anymore. I'm going to just, I'm going to eat what I want for a week. I'm going to, you know, I had, like I said, I had, you know, a few drinks, I had a night, a good night of fun. And then everything sinks in all of a sudden. Uh, I take my mind away from the squash court and go to Hong Kong, and that there it all comes together. And that that was a great learning thing. And I, try, yeah. I, try and, I know I've told people, and I've now written a bit, bit, bit in the book, and because uh, it's just such a, again, if I'd have known in September what was happening, you know, but it was probably the biggest occasion in my squash life where it all worked out like that, and that was the lesson I learned. But it hadn't happened before in that way, so. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a big, a big, 
big lesson. So now for ever since, I know that if there's work done and the results don't come, I just try and uh, much more happy now with, okay, well, that's fine. But the work never leaves. The work you do never leaves. It's always been put in the bank and yeah. you're not going to lose it. So don't worry. It's always there. You can draw upon it. So have, go and have your rest. Go and have your weekend off. Go and have your two days off. You're not going to lose. You know, things aren't lost. You've actually gained because you've let the subconscious and the, the body is just taken over, just have a break from it all. And then it, and then it te- amazingly, and people talk about sleep, don't they? They say when you sleep, you get the answers to a, to a problem the next next morning. And it is, it's something about letting go of the mind and letting the body rest and the subconscious yep. take over that, that, that just made it all work. I think for me, that, that's that in that situation. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And and right, there was pretty much five things I want to unpack there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it down to two because I there was so many little interesting points you talk about. One of them, yeah. I think, would 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 again correct me if I'm wrong, but there was maybe a softening of you, a softening of your mental approach, you know, maybe though that little bit of the loss and then relaxing, going out for the night out. So maybe that softening of that mental approach helped. And then the second thing was this idea, it's it's an analogy I use, and, and again, I think you 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 said it in your way, but um you've got this massive piece of granite and you've got a, a chisel and a hammer and you hit it once nothing happens you're trying to break this granite you hit it second time nothing happens you hit it 10 times nothing happens 500 times nothing happens 999 times nothing happens but you get number thousand and it cracks but yeah. it's not it's not the thousand hit that done it it's the <laughs> 999 hits it's the it's the oh. continual pressure and sounds yeah. like that happened to you is it was the accumulation of your pontifract days learning striving struggling success then oh. that little bit of a softening of the edge was maybe your 999th hit. And maybe yeah. just that the thousand one was around the corner, you know, that, that just came to my yeah. mind as you were talking. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you say, I mean, I've sort of distilled it into five or six months worth that. Yeah. The, the summer before was important. And the summer before that was important. And the training periods that I did when I was 15, maybe, you know, and the yeah. time that I went and traveled to a world championship and got really good experience, you know, there's so much going in the bank and, uh, that, that makes that final you know those three events come together in three months and um so yeah it's it's yeah, yeah it, it's it's a whole lifetime but then you know that there was also a micro the mini life in that sort of five or six months as well that took yeah. place um but yeah you're absolutely right it's, it, it is and, and that's what a lot of people don't understand about professional sport it's not that we're any it's not that we're magicians it's not that we were born with all these gifts it's that we've you know we keep battling away and there's so much rejection and so much failure and so many losses that you you, you find a way to just keep keep chipping away with that with that chisel or whatever it is and, yeah. and, then, and then you know results can can happen yeah it's a very very special mindset you've got to get into and and you know not not that i'm a warrior but look at the modern world and 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 the semi worry about this instant gratification we've got netflix twitter instagram we've got all the social media throwing our way i'm talking with genius here and you know you've accumulated just you you you've mastered mastered the art of showing up again and showing up again with no reward there and I suppose what, what the young youngsters are exposed to now is they can just get anything on their fingertips. They want to watch something Netflix is on in a second. And, and for me, this is a real challenge as a coach at the moment is going, yes, there's all this instant gratification, but we need to make people aware that, like I said, it's that 999 builds of pressure that will lead to that big thing. So yeah, and you being a father, where are, okay, your, your kids are young still, but where are you at in regard to you know, that way of thinking? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really interesting and that you, you could talk about this forever, couldn't you? And I, I, you obviously start comparing, don't you? I'm sure you, you've done it. You, 
think about your own childhood and um, you remember it the way you remember it. And I already made an allusion to it in the fact that you would go to Wembley and, and watch watch the British Open. And, and I remember having the videotapes, you know, and these, these video cassette VHSs were like the most prized <laughs> possession ever because that was the only squash I could ever re-watch on TV. Yep. Um, so things are different. And I don't know whether that's, I don't know, I can't work out whether it's good or bad. I think a lot of it has to be good because you can you can watch Amashabana now as much as you want and kids that's got to be great because that's, I totally agree yeah you can you can then re-watch those rallies on YouTube and all this sort of I mean which is fantastic but then yeah like you say is there some sort of inner thing going on um and um where, where they've just got a bit too much of it and it's very available and it's not quite as um you know sort of wanted and desired i suppose in the head and that that netflix thing is interesting and i haven't really thought about that but yeah it's like it's like a it's like a, an environment isn't it of, of click a button and it's yep. done and, and that might be affecting you know mm. i wasn't thinking of it in those terms but you're right it could be just affecting everything that in yep. terms of they think everything's going to come quick and everything's so easy now maybe they think being a good squash player is as well or yep being this but I, I don't know interesting concept because look well, just like look at amazon prime you know in two clicks you can have something turn up at your doorstep like that it, it, there's very yeah. little, very little yeah. barriers and I'm, again not saying it's a, i'm saying it's good because the technology is amazing and what it offers us but is it possibly not allowing or, or the environment for the, the the players to go actually you know what we need you need to accumulate hours and hours of this work and like again you go to the gym you're not going to see any results in, in in a month all you're going to do is you're just going to hurt you're going to ache you're not going to yeah. feel great there's zero results but if the mindset is oh netflix twitter instagram spotify i can just get something in my fingertips going well why would i have to put myself through that pain when i can get yeah. the access there look i'm just I'm, I'm linking two separate domains here but you are yeah but it's, it's i think there's point, something there a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I agree there is there is a there is a, there is a philosophy and a, a view that we've all got in this modern world isn't there of uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be one of those people that's saying, oh, this modern world, it's not like it was. And that's that's rubbish, you know, and, and there's loads of great stuff. And like I say, if you can watch the squash TV for a start and, you know, you, you're obviously things like this, you know, you can we can yeah. listen to a podcast that gives us great information. It's, it's wonderful mm -hmm. stuff. But um, it's, I guess, again, we're talking about that word balance, aren't we? And um yeah that 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 finding finding a balance between the two and, and and getting children of today to understand that it's not all quick fix and yeah you know all the good things very rarely are are they no. um, that, that's again that that's what I'm, I'm looking at is, is how do we work with it not against it that's my big thing is going it's there it's in yeah. the world let's not sure. be old fuddy daddy stuck in my ways it's going right it's there what can we do to accumulate it so that's my little exactly. project also yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> space hopefully but yeah, um, good. last good. time we had a, a long chat um was again i referred to it when when we were when i did my my research project but i'd like to fast forward to 2018 commonwealth games um you know arguably one of the, the best weeks of your life but you told such a great story about how that week panned out and, and and you shared some really good insights there um would you be able to reflect on that week and some of those processes through that week <laughs> I'd, I'd love people to know what what happened there yeah, yeah, I think the it's one that again you've probably said it a hundred times to for people, and you know, sorry to everyone if they're hearing it again, but and you obviously are now. But but I think again, it is a valuable lesson, and I try and you know, if children ask me about you know, if anyone, but if kids often ask about how do you prepare and how do you do you set goals and do you get nervous and how do you deal with things, and I think the Commonwealth was a really good example, as I've said before, about 
I mean, goal, goal setting, you know, people make a lot about it. Psychologists talk a lot about it and people say, oh, set goals, set goals. And, and to an extent, that's fine. But for me, in all honesty, that week, you know, I didn't set goals. And I think that can be fine as well. Um, or maybe I, maybe I did set goals in that they were very small goals for me that I could just work on day to day. So keep the body healthy, get through this next session. I suppose it, it wasn't, it was, I never really thought about uh, what's the end result here. I want to be the Commonwealth champion. It, it, that was never a thought. It, the thought was firstly, I'm 34 years old. I'd like to get to Australia and play the Commonwealth Games. So a year out, that's my thinking. And then as it's coming closer, I'm just thinking about getting the match play in, getting the training right, getting the balance right, like we've talked about. So those are the key elements going into it. Um, and I think it sort of showed the way the week went. Um, the, the second match, the first match was very good. The second match against Campbell Grayson was pretty, uh, what's the word? Um, not, not fluent. Uh, it was rusty, just not happy with the way I played, but then he played well. So I think he made me play like that um, to stop me playing. And then the, the second, the, the quarterfinal was sort of a massive 80 odd minute match with Cameron Pilly. So just the context of how that was working out, things weren't looking that good. Um, so, so three days before you're winning the gold medal, you're thinking, I remember ringing home. I remember, I remember had a chat with Vanessa and I was a bit, just a bit down about it because I thought, well, that's, you know, I think particularly after the Campbell Grayson match, because he'd made me feel really not very good. I think he just stopped me playing. Um, and, uh, you know, then the next day, well, I'm, I'm pretty tired. And uh, I was pleased to get to the semis, but I just thought, well, that, that must be it now. I, mm -hmm. I can't keep performing at this level, having had a 90-minute match with Cameron. And it was really brutal. Um, but then it was just an, an example of how things change within a week. And I wasn't, because I wasn't expecting too much. I was a bit disappointed with the, with the second round match. But other than that, it was okay. I'm just here to do my best. I've got here and I'm fit and well. And then it was just an amazing example of how not building it up too much really helped me because the next day, you know, I was against um, Nafizwan and managed to play really well and win that, win that three love. And then suddenly you're there with a the chance in the final. And I was a bit, bit, fatigue but I had a chance and I was okay so and then there you are you know another 24 hours later again you, you've got the gold medal around your leg and, you know if you'd have said it a week before I wouldn't have believed if you'd have said it sort of three days ago before I would have sort of not really believed it it wasn't just wasn't part of my thinking so all those people that are saying you must have a goal and you must goal set and I'm not saying they're wrong but I'm saying the goals were much different to what you would think they weren't sort of the goal is the gold medal. The goal was just, let's see, let's get this right today. Let's get the next warm-up. Let's get the next session done. Get the physio, all those little things. Yeah. And just not thinking about the, the big gold medal winning moment. Totally. Um, and that yeah. was, I think, when people are talking about goal setting, that was a key sort of thing for me. Mm. Um, and it's probably not really my way anyway as a person. I don't... I don't plan things that much. I don't plan training schedules. I, I often see how I'm feeling that day. I often see how I'm feeling that week. Whereas loads of players I know really have to plan everything down to the last second. And that's just not me. I've never done it. Um, and it, But it, I just think it's, it's, I do hear a lot of people saying, you've got to goal set, you've got to goal set. And it's like, you might not have to, if that's not your personality. You know, you don't always have to. As long as you're thinking about how to balance and apportion what you're doing, 
mm-hmm. and you know having the balance there maybe goal setting is the least thing you want to do maybe you just need to go and talk about um, you know the, the the last film you saw and, and just be really relaxed and not talk about that and it's yeah. again I think that's where maybe the mistakes are made from coaches and people it's like what's right for this person not not what do the books say always what's right for this person do we need to be thinking about squash all the time and some some players do some mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Don't. <laughs> No, again, just jotting down some notes there. You, the, the way you 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 come, the way you speak about it, the way you're so eloquent with how you put it, is is for me fascinating. I'm just absorbing here. So, in regard to goal setting, again, this is just my theory that, and again, but I completely agree. It's it's people's identity. I think the idea of a goal, a goal, gold medal, whatever, it just it faces you in the right direction. That that's all I like to think about it. It's not like it's not an endpoint. It just faces you in the right direction. That path might be completely skewed, and and you might have to just nudge here and left and right. But that's where you talk about getting more wrapped up in your process goals, the the the, the controllables, things that are immediately in front of you, day by day, session by session, and that's what actually carves the path through the jungle, through the bush, whatever you want to talk about. But yeah, yeah. when you talk. About goal setting and and that that big external goal, I think it is such a dangerous territory to go in. It, it's it's yeah. so far away, it's so elusive, and but but I also think I like it in a way because it just makes you face in the right direction. That that's all I like to think about it. And then you got to carve your path, yeah, right. session by session. Um, and yeah, it sounds like you did that perfectly in the moment. You know that big battle with Cameron Pilly. You know. Yeah, at that point, you know, you're probably just thinking, my body and how am I going to even get through the next match? But yeah. you just kept yourself in that moment. And I just want to reflect on the second thing I wrote was, was I suppose, the love and support of, of, you know, your family, Vanessa, having that environment that you could, I suppose, have a sounding board because you phoned her after that Cameron Pilly match. Was that right? No, it was after the, the, cam- the camera match was, was you know, because again, I wasn't putting too much pressure on myself, but the camera match was good and, you know, it was just hard and he was very good and we always used to have hard matches anyway. So that, there was nothing, that was quite happy really after that one. It was the one before that got me a little bit down because I just thought I'd been going all right and I just, it was more of a disappointment how, I, I, I mean, I'd won through it 3-1, but it, I just felt the, the squash just was really average. And mm-hmm. But I think it was to do with him and I should have given him more credit at the time, you know, Campbell was very good. And so I think, it, it, you know, I, I guess through all of it, I just look back to that night where I, I just remember ringing Vanessa and just saying, oh, it's just, just rubbish. You know, I just, I just didn't feel good and all this sort of, I was all just sort of down and she's like, oh, that's, that's all right. You're okay. You're there and you're fine. And 
um, and it's like, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm here, and, and it's all good. You know, so there was no sort of massive underlying pressure, but you know, she was great. She always is. You know, she's been through it as well, and she's the opposite to me in many respects because she's she can give me that that relaxation. She was always much more relaxed as a, a world world level player than I was, mm-hmm. um, so that helps. And you know, just talk, to talk through it. But I just I just remember it because I felt really down talking to her for some reason, just because of the performance. I think, but. Uh, yeah, no, the Cameron one I was happy with. It was just hard, and it was hard, yeah. yeah. Credit to him. I, I was actually pleased to win because he was, you know, he played so well in front of his home crowd, and the crowd were, heavy, you know, crowd were against me and all that. So that was fine. I was happy with that. Um, it was more the other one. Yeah. So I, I, I want to stay with this a little bit longer because it leads me to my next little question, and and I'm curious about about inner voice and you know the stories we tell ourselves. And so it's a two-part question here, and, and it might link to a couple of matches in that Commonwealth game. So the two parts of the question is, what is your inner voice like when you're on the verge of winning an important match? So maybe the Paul call, you're right at that edge there. What's happening in that inner voice? And the second part of the question, it's kind of the opposite in a way. What's your inner voice like when things are not going right, but you need to get going? So can, can you talk on that and, and, and what's happening in that, in that mind? Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, if we take, if we probably take the the difficult situation where you're not, where things aren't happening, uh, one one thing I think I've learned to do a lot recently, probably better, is to just make sure that I've gone over the the scenarios um, um, more. So so I've, I've tried to practice a little bit before. Um, so okay, I'm I'm I'm, you know, I'm I'm, I'm even seeing the player. I'm, I'm imagining what the player does to me on the court. You know, does he make me? you know twist me and turn me does he does he put me in long rallies like maybe Paul Cole would and it's just sort of taking myself to that place a little bit and saying okay you're 5-2 down in the, the second and you're one love down um, and just if I'm if I'm mentally have been there a little bit and this, uh, this is visualization I guess it's it's putting yourself and rehearsing the situation and I've found a lot of I've got a lot of strength from this um, in the last, certainly later on. I, I wasn't clever enough to use it earlier on. I didn't, I didn't understand it as much, but um, just being prepared for the, the possibilities. So this could happen. So what will I do? You know, and I might write it down. I might say, well, Paul, you know, might go one love up and then he might go four, two up. So mm-hmm. and he might be if you're putting me under a lot of physical pressure, you know, feel that. And what does that feel like? Um, you know, I've been through loads of training, I'm fit, I'm strong, you know, give yourself the positivity and then uh, this is what I will do. And so if I've gone through that a little bit before, when I get there and I'm one level four, two down, I know what I'm going to do because it's, I've been there. But so many times in the past, I'm sort of one, one level four, two down and I'm thinking, what, 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 this wasn't supposed to happen. You know, this was the plan. It's not working. And what should I do now? And, and you, you're too confused. Whereas if I've gone through it, I'm like, I know now because this morning in the hotel, I was going over this. So I knew what I was going to do at one level four, two. So this is what I'm going to do. And then I do it. And I just try and say to myself, that was the plan, execute the plan. And if that doesn't work, then, um, what can I do? I've given it my best and, and that's all I can do. But at least I've prepared for it. At least I was aware of it. And I think, I think as an athlete, you're in, you're in the midst of a squash match, as you know, the oxygen te- debt takes over. You can't think as clearly. And therefore, when you get into these problems, two love down, the whole thing's running away from you. 
it's like I don't know what you know you, you don't you lose the clarity whereas if you've understood it when you're in your hotel or back or wherever and you try to put it together as a plan then then you're equipped for it aren't you and I think that's what I do you know and, and it, again it's all about the process it's about what's the plan hit the ball straight hit the ball straight forget about the score I can't get wound up about that now I've just got to do what the plan is and is that to get it to the back is that to do you know hold the ball is it to try and find the space whatever that little tactic is just have it and just try and execute it and then the points look after themselves hopefully or, or maybe not and if they don't they don't but you've given it everything you can yeah and oh, I think, yeah. Well, well you're really speaking my language sorry to interrupt in that but that's yeah in very quick terms that's exactly the whole concept around squash minders is how we can make visualization and rehearsing stuff, a, a real accessible tool for players. And, you know, there's been a lot of research done on it. That's, that's where I get curious, you know, scientific research papers, firsthand experience of players like yourself talking about visualization. So you reflecting on that is so powerful. Just one last thing on that visualization, maybe before we talk about your inner voice when you're about to win a big match. Um, can you talk us a little bit more through that process? Is it is it a daily thing? Is it something that you just do at tournaments? Like if, if anyone's listening and they want to get into visualization more, any anything that you could suggest just from your own personal experience? Yeah, I think visualization is quite hard, isn't it? Because you're trying to imagine. So I, I think earlier on in my career, I was trying to sort of picture things in a visual sense. And that 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 so I was almost sort of saying, right, that's a drive picture that. And then that's a cross court. And then that's and that, that was all a bit too cloudy for me. But if I put it in sort of set a sense of, um, OK, I'm playing this guy so in the past, he's made me feel very uncomfortable because he's hit those kills to the front, you know, and he doesn't give me any errors at the beginning. So someone like Gaultier is a good, good, good example. You know, I would a lot of the time I could know, you know, I could I could preempt things a little bit. I mean, he would take me by surprise because that's what the best players do. But I knew certain things would be difficult. And the first period of the first game was mm. going to be difficult because he wouldn't give you errors. He'd be he'd be happy. He'd be, you know, he'd be positive because that's how he is. And, you know, I'd have to just withstand and I'd need to have a plan in place if he went, he often started well. So he might go, you know, in, I know in the past he went 6-1 up or 6-2 up against me. So it's about me not necessarily visualising every shot, but just saying, right, Gaultier is in there, we're on the glass court. He's gone 6-2 up against me because he's not giving me an inch. He's just playing everything tight down the back and he keeps hitting those little kills in that he does cross court and straight. So what's the plan? keep using your lifts or you know whatever the answer to that in your mind is keep using lifts keep tight on the backhand so it doesn't get the opening don't give him the angle on the backhand so he can't play that kill mm -hmm. so it was more like that like six two first game he started much better than I have then therefore I'm gonna do this I mean obviously you can't plan for every single point of the match but mm -hmm. there were often phases that I could identify with and I would do it on both hands you know so mm -hmm. I might say if I'm too loving seven two up or whatever it said right what's gonna happen now because that can also be a bit yeah, of a shock exactly um, but but yeah that, that was how the visualization worked for me it wasn't you know from my point of view trying to visualize every image was quite mm. hard and it wasn't like you know see the backhand and see the swing it wasn't any it wasn't that it was more like and that might work for people yeah. that's fine but for me it was more like this is the scenario this is where we are in the match mm -hmm you know, it's hot on there. Imagine that, you know, the heat or something like that. And I'm sweating more than usual, you know, but I was ready for this because I've imagined it before, you know, it was that sort of thing rather than specific shots and things. I don't know whether that's 
different to what you do or, or yeah. if that's just a certain type of organization, but that's well, how that, I did it. I think it links back to something you alluded to earlier. It, it's everyone's wired a little bit differently, aren't we? You know, it, some someone might be very... Exactly. A leads to B leads to C, and they, and they would literally visualize the 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 nth degree and the minutiae. The, the whole rally, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. your yeah, sounds sure. more yeah. like yeah, more like a, like a story where almost emotions might even be coming into it, or feelings, or sensations, and plans, and you know, you almost the way you're talking about it. And again, I, I've explored a little bit of it, but but I'm going to go a lot deeper. You've got my cogs really turning now. Is is almost looks like from the third person, possibly you, you, you're watching it as if you may be on a screen and going, Hey, if I was watching this myself, how would I? I'm 62 down in the first against Gultier. If you were the coach, how would you be speaking to yourself? So, yeah, I think yeah. you found like a really good method then. And and the second point on that, and, and it sounds like that was your first one to go to, there's a big school of thought around this idea of negative visualization now. And what that is, um, so say you're playing on Sunday, between Monday and Friday, you would, you would visualize all the, the, the worst case scenarios like that, 60 down, two love down. And Monday, Friday would be all the slightly, ne- I say negative, but it, it, a lot of it's about acceptance. And then what a lot of the athletes are doing now is on the Saturday and Sunday, they flip it into the positive one where they're going, right, now I'm walking onto the court, on court with confidence. And the last thing they would do would be this idea of, right, I'm now entering my arena, but I've boosted myself up. But if anything yeah. bad goes on, they can adapt because just quickly, yeah, a lot of people used to visualize always the perfect scenarios. And then one thing would go wrong and it'd be like, I haven't, I haven't visualized that's this. It, it sounds like it. You, you got that pretty early well, on. That's, I think that's kind of what I've done. Like I don't, I mean, I would definitely visualize the sort of losing or the difficult situations more than the, more than the, you know, if I'm too yeah. loving that, that one. And, and it's, it's precisely that. And it's a, it's a little bit about expectation. If I almost, People say, oh, don't don't imagine the bad stuff. Well, I'm not sure about that because it, it helped me to just balance my expectations. So if I expected that was a possibility, it meant that I wasn't getting too cocky and too, exactly. you know, so I would often repeat to myself, look, you know, you're feeling good, your training's going well, but remember what's happened. And then I go back to 2011 in, in Paderborn and say, remember that time when you weren't, when you were feeling on top of the world and you were yeah. fit as a fiddle? it didn't work. You didn't always feel good. So I sort of tell myself, expect the worst things, expect, mm. you know, don't really expect anything because you never can, but it's like, this could happen. This might happen. So what are you going to do if, when it does? And you know, it's not every bit of this match is going to be easy You're playing against the top 10 player in the world. They're going to make it hard. There are going to be some hard bits. So you're right. I actually almost do imagine the negative stuff, but I don't, not in a negative way. It's no. like this could happen and this could be bad and it could mm. feel uncomfortable, but then I'm going to give it a positive response. You know, then your response is positive, isn't it? But yeah, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And, and I think it's good to be aware of the negative, if you like, or the, mm-hmm. the less, you know, the less good situations so that then you can respond to it. Yeah, completely. And, and that was when, when I touched on this with a sports psychologist. Um, and again, it was all well-intended and it was good, but so much of, about it was building yourself up, positive stuff. Oh, get onto that fine volley drop and control this, control that. Great. And I, and I walked out of that session feeling a million dollars. My next training session was great. But when I got to the match and I missed my first volley drop, I was like, <laughs> I was like well, I practiced it. I visualized it. Why? What, what is going on here? So again, I wish yeah. I'd maybe been exposed to it or even experimented myself a little bit earlier, but yeah. thank you for sharing that. That sounds amazing. And then maybe, maybe you've already answered the question, but then if we invert it and you know, you're on the edge of something big edge of world number one, that tournament you won in India to get you to world number one, uh, Commonwealth gold medal. What's, what's going on in your mind at those points? 
Yeah, I think I always just think, you know, a lot of people are a bit scared, aren't they, when they've got the lead and they've got the, the ascendancy and then they, they're, they're a bit scared of, you know, people are quite nasty about this situation, aren't they? But they've got these horrible words like bottle and choke and I don't like them as words because, you know, and I, I just think as long as I give everything I've got, if that guy comes back from, you know, and it happened in the Commonwealth final, actually, I was two love up and about seven, three or something up against Paul and he started to edge his way back to about five or six seven and I, I remember feeling quite it's not a nice feeling that because then you think suddenly if he, if he captured that game mm. we're, we're in a bit of a battle again whereas I've actually controlled the whole match and I should have won the horrible thoughts but all I can do in that situation is keep applying myself to every single shot and every rally if he and I just think if he beats me from here and I've given it everything I can I've taken every ball on its merit I cannot complain. And I'm not choked. I'm, I'm not going to allow anyone to tell me I've choked. I'm just going to be as tough as the boots. I'm not going to give him a single inch. I'm going to take the shots on if they're there because I've always practiced them and I'm not going to be scared. And it's so hard to do. It's, it's oh, a horrible thing when someone yeah. a lead. But it's just going back to that thing again. Mm. They're eating away at my lead. But all I need to do is wipe my hand on the wall or whatever it is and just say to myself, this is the process. This is what I had planned. This is what I've been doing for the last 30 minutes because I'm two love up and seven four up. I've just got to go back to that. And if I can do it, I'm giving myself the best chance. Mm. I think that's all. And it's, it's so hard to think that clearly because you, you're worrying again about all these external things. People are going to think I've choked. I've let the lead slip. Yep. What if I then lose the match? It's just all that external stuff. And it's all rubbish. It's not going to help you. <laughs> and who cares anyway? Not, you know, let, the, let the journalists or whoever those people are say you've choked or, you know, let, let the, the critics or whoever these people are, if they want to say that, then say that, but just give your best. And then you've, you've not choked, you haven't. Just give it, you know, that's all, that's all I can do, I think, in those situations. Oh, man, I, that is such sound advice. And yeah, anyone listening, especially some of the juniors I work with, I, please just extract that and bottle it because that's exactly the method that I'm trying to do. But, but it sounds like you've also prepared for it. It's not, a, it's not a fluke that those voices are happening because you've done those bits of visualization. You've maybe played those scenarios through in your head. You've told yourself, yes, I'm two love seven one up, but my lead's been chipped away at. And you know, so that's where I'm, I'm really trying to do some work as well. And you hear coaches say, stay in the moment and be present. But how can we expect players to stay in the moment and be present if they've not practiced or rehearsed it when there's no pressure? You can't yeah. even say, right, you're in a final now and you're two love up, but you lose the third game. And I've seen parents do it and coaches all well intended go, right, you're two love up, but or two one up now, but stay in the moment, really focus on the moments. I'm going, what has yeah. that person done prior to that? Prior, yeah. Them in the moments. And, and that yeah. to me is where I'm, and, and the way you speak about it and the way you talk about your visualizations sounds really powerful. And you've rehearsed it so many times that, not you flick a switch, but you're, you're there and you're having that story in your head. That's right. That's absolutely it. It's rehearsal. It's rehearsal and practice. It, and all you're doing is taking your mind to that place and trying to sort of have a bit of an image there of it all. And therefore, it just it just gives you the, the experience. It just adds a little bit more experience. You know, even if you can imagine the court and the venue and the the pressure, feel the pressure if you want, feel all those things, see the people off court, see the colours, whatever you want to see, make it part of the experience. And it just means that I get there and it's happening and I've been there. And that, that is all it is. It's just it's just it's just just background and rehearsal. And that's the word. It's like a rehearsal. And you know, any anyone who rehearses anything in all walks of life, whether it be a musical instrument or a shot or 
you know, a situation is going to be more ready and better than if they hadn't rehearsed it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always mean success, but it just means you're giving yourself a better chance of being able to cope with the pressure of what, whatever the situation is and, mm-hmm. you know, playing the violin in the concert or hitting the best squash match in the world championship, the squash ball in the, in the, in the world championship final, whatever that skill is you want to do, you just, you're just giving yourself the armory to having practiced it and rehearsed it, aren't you? Awesome. Honestly, so such, such good words. So um, when, when I knew I was coming on with you, I actually reached out to a few of my players and they were, ecstatic so there's a couple of player questions if you don't mind having a quick little chat about those uh, yeah yeah, of course. yeah well, well this one links right. quite nicely because I, I know you you're you've got some amazing things you're doing outside of squash you know you, you play guitar you're in a band you do quite a bit of acting on stage so one of the questions and, and this is one of the players i work with because i'm trying to get him to look at the holistic approach of life not just squash is your only bit of life so what is something outside of squash that you think has benefited the way you play yeah um well i think i think i think the writing you know having written the books now and you know done done some writing columns and things like that it's clearly something i enjoy doing so i've done a lot of it now and that's yeah i don't i just think whatever it is if it's that that's been what i like doing and mm-hmm. it gives me something else to concentrate on it's something that i'm passionate about i think more than anything the acting has probably given me even greater parallels to squash and i've learned from acting in 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 theater um because there's that element of performance and again rehearsing and learning lines and learning scenes and and how how a scene can help you know the the benefit of the play which you know a rally can help benefit the end of a match and all this sort of stuff there's loads of loads of sort of just you know parallels that i can bring there but those are the particular things that helped me and it's not always easy to explain how, but the fact is just the doing of them because it relaxes me and it's it's the love of it that I enjoy. So when I'm, when I'm doing a play, you know, I've worked hard and I can feel myself, you know, even the days of the rehearsals, really looking forward to rehearsing that night. And, you know, I've worked hard on the squash court, um, but actually it's sort of driving me a bit through the sessions almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just a part of life, isn't it? Yeah. If we can find things that we enjoy and, hobbies that that stimulate us if, if we're really specializing and working hard at something else in our lives or if if we go to work every day and we find that quite tough then we need to go out and to the cinema in the evening or whatever that recreation is and and those things for me have just been mm. just great and they've this sort of I think anyone who knows this has that hobby just to, to get you through the days and you know it can really you know I look forward to the rehearsals so mm. you know I get through the sessions better that's I think that's how it helps me a lot okay. um um, yeah yeah well the word outlet comes to mind there straight away as you're describing those things like what what outlet do you have you know if, if again great that there's these young keen squash players but if your parents are on your back and your coach is on your back and everything is so squash heavy and intense you know what you all, great fine if that works but you also need to let off steam in that outlet and it sounds like yeah you've you've yeah. found great ways of doing that over the course so, of yeah. time so yeah so, yeah second, second question there's three questions so second question um when losing many points in a row how do you stop the momentum I think again, um, I think again, it's, it's about, I think it comes back to what we've been talking about. So I've, I've, I've been, if hopefully I've, I've understood, well, I've been there many times in my career for a start. Mm-hmm. So again, experience plays a big part, but if I can have, if I can have practiced it or been ready for it or given myself the readiness beforehand, as we've said, through visualization or through just practice and rehearsal of that, of that scenario, 
then I try to just Im implement what we've talked about in terms of this is the tactic, this is the plan. Hopefully I've been through this. I'm, I've gone 6-1 down or whatever that run of points and things are running away. But I have to stick to what I know. And um, this, is the, this was the game plan. I've got to find the width and length or whatever that game plan is and mm -hmm. stay with it. Or some, sometimes you need to be clever enough and astute enough to, to, to change the game plan. But that's not always the answer. But if you can see enough on the squash court to be able to do that that's an incredible thing you've got and good luck but yeah. that's not always easy and that's why we we try and you know listen to coaches in between games and things but um yes often it's about just sticking to what I've, I've planned understanding that this scenario could have happened know that I'm ready for it and I've been there a hundred times before and just stay with it and not worry about the result not worry about losing the game just mm -hmm. keep keep eating away at the rallies I mean often it will go you know you're eight two down what's the goal of the game well the goal of the game is I don't want to just keep letting him win these rallies so stay in the rallies okay maybe the game's gone at this point but that's okay you know you can still get a lot out of this next three or four minutes if you stay with your plan it's not all all is not lost even though you may lose the game but mm. stay with it stay with it and things might open out a little bit for you then and you know just try not to think in terms of the points maybe all the time and just stick to that process isn't it yep no again such sound advice and uh, yep stuff that's getting me to keep reflecting and turning my cogs over so um last question from one of the players is what is your strategy to start well at the beginning of matches what one of the people i'm working with really struggles to start well um ended yeah. up playing well halfway through the first game but any any tips on starting well yeah good that's 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 a massive art so so difficult but again it's um i think I tried to yeah, sometimes even in my notes, if I if I had it in my phone, sometimes I have to remember the first thing I would write at the top of my list is start well. And I used to put it in capitals. And even that, I know it sounds so simple and so ridiculous. And like, what the hell does it mean anyway? But it was just those words I would. And, and then I would keep reading through my, my notes and stuff. And as I'm warming up and getting close to the match and start well, yeah. So, so, so it would just get me in a bit of a sort of, you know, like just put up the brick wall almost. You know, the tactics are there. You know what the game plan, plan is. Make sure you're right, you know, you're ready from that, from that very from that very point. You know, little things I found were very helpful to me here. Making sure your water was ready, making sure your kit's ready, making sure you, you're not rushing on that last, you know, two two minutes before you after the knock-up. So, you know, the little 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 detail for me is I often need to go to the you know, I need to go pee before before playing. And often, I've, you know, I'm, I'm hydrated, so I need to make sure that I don't need the loo in, in the middle of the first game. So I often go off to the loo, to the nearest toilet, to do that and then come back. And um, I have to give myself time to do that. Otherwise, I'm rushed and, I'm, you know, I'm all over the place. So I'll often go off in, between, in the middle of the knock-up so that I'm ready and I've got enough time. That's just a little planning thing that, that can be just very helpful, making sure your waters are ready, making sure whatever the equipment you need is ready. Mm. Um, those little things and then you can just get you know yourself all, all the gear you need and all that business um, yeah no, as I think I think for me it was like you know starting well was just a nice little cue word I know people talk about little cue words of you know and I wipe my hand on the wall right start ready go now and you know and obviously just the last thing on that would be a good warm-up so that you're ready you're ready to move quickly yeah. That was always helpful to me. And in the warm-up, even just giving myself those quick, quick ghosting or whatever that is, just to get myself completely ready for that very first point. And it's bloody hard. There's no right or wrong there. I haven't really given a very good answer, but 
It's oh, just have. doing as much as you can of the little things and just, just and you know, that, that again, sometimes that wouldn't work. I would go three nil down or, but it's like knowing that it's part of a longer thing, not getting stressed if it doesn't work. Sometimes it didn't, sometimes it did, but you're just giving yourself the best chance, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Totally. No, I completely agree. So there was one tiny thing I just wanted to pick up there in your last uh, sentence and how you prepare for your match. You said you keep notes. Can you expand on that? Because I'm super into journaling, really like notes, being reflective. Can you, yeah. can you share what you do within your note-taking process? Yeah, I, I, again, I think some, you know, not, not every match. Sometimes I just don't quite feel the need, but um, I, I don't know really why. I think it maybe just gives me something. Again, it's the sort of repetition if I have it written down it's a bit more concrete. Whereas if it's all flying about in my head, uh, that's, I think that's what note taking is, isn't it? And um, it's just, it's just there. Once it's out, once it's there, it's, you've recorded it, you can go back to it. Whereas if I'm sort of trying to think, Oh, what, what did, what was I thinking about this morning? I thought about something, but then it's forgotten and then it's gone. So I think it's just, it's recorded for me and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously phone that's easy. And just occasionally I'll write, write it from, you know, notepad or something, but often it's easier on the phone and I can just, if I'm warming up for half an hour, I keep revisiting it. Maybe I don't sort of try not to get too dependent where I'm like looking at it all the time, but I just, every five, every 10 minutes, I might go back and just, just, just go over the points. Mm -hmm. One one thing that sometimes got a bit out of hand was that I would write a bit too much. Mm -hmm. So I try and keep it as concise as I can, Mm -hmm. just points that I can take in because I'm not going to be able to go on there and remember everything. Of course. But just, this is an important thing, you know, remember he's very good on this shot. So just be careful here. If there's a particular tactic that's very crucial against a certain player, like I've often talked about Rami, you know, from the front right or left, I had I, I, I to almost say to myself, lob or drop, don't hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that would be a very specific tactic that I would have to have written down because I just have to keep reminding myself to not hit out of the front because it would just volley that and I'd be in a mess and I'd be doing court sprints. So just little specific tactics against certain players. Um, again, it might include some of the visualizations and mm. scenarios. If things get difficult, then this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Just that sort of thing. And, and yeah, the notes, the notes again might not be for everyone, but. Mm-hmm again it's just it's just getting it down just recording it it's something i can go back to during the warm-up phase yeah no but the more you talk about it the more it does sound like you're again reinforcing certain neural pathways bits of your brain are working and yeah. and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it can easily overspill into overthinking you know overthinking is such a bad thing in sport and under sure. pressure. So i think i think getting those concise notes but again it's just a little stimulus of what's going on in, in that brain exactly. for me is powerful so um yeah. James, listen you have been amazing with your time um i really appreciate what you've given me here today there's two more quick little things i'm going to ask you of course yeah no problem. Is, is very personal to you so your second book has just come out um i went and grabbed a copy about an hour before we got into this chat because this is right up my street and i'm keenly waiting for it to be delivered um well done first of all on getting a second book out and can you tell us some more about it the title and and, and what the whole process of of the book is that's very kind thanks jesse and thanks for thanks for that thanks for having getting it and um yeah it's 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 a it's a bunch whole bunch of interviews that i've been building up for several years um interviews with inspiration i've called it and it's just a look at um these people uh, it's me chatting with them 
in the book I've got my own sort of I sort of come in at certain times within the interviews to just give my own experiences that might might respond you know or or be sort of parallel to their experiences um so it's, it's obviously my take on it and the people that I've interviewed from the world that are interesting to me I guess so so, you know there is some but I've tried to vary it as much as I can and give lots of different perspectives I could have gone on and on and on um with you know people from all different fields but I think I've got it to about 21 and I think that was enough really it was quite hard work as you you know getting people are very generous but it's 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 hard you've got to get to them you've got to get through agents and some of them were quite famous and mm. that's not always easy and um then you you know getting the getting the uh, interviews written up and there was a lot a lot of work that went into it outside of it so that was enough and I think there's a lovely collection there and I've enjoyed reading through them which I've done a lot a lot recently nice. to get get it published and I just hope that you know, like you, Jesse, you, you've been, you used to talk about me today, but you've given me a lot as well. And you're obviously very passionate about this. And it's, it's always, it's always a pleasure working with you. And um, this has been a discussion, I think. And obviously a lot of it's about my experiences, but you know, you're, you're, you're so interested on, on, on all this. And it's, it, it is just, it is, it's, it's, it's endlessly interesting, isn't it? To understand how people from different walks of life it wasn't just the the book isn't just about sports it's about different areas and to understand how they achieve why they achieve and 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 what it does to them a little bit as well you know a a little bit of that's come into it for me it's not all about success it's it's trying to understand why we want success and what success Mm -hmm. is and um and what what kind of what it takes out of us i guess and um, it's just an endlessly fascinating subject and i guess this is why you're a lot of what you're doing this is why i think it's been an interesting interview certainly for me anyway this, oh, this, yeah. thanks honest while hearing you say that just yeah i genuinely like just warms my heart so thank you so much because i genuinely you know just i'm curious about things i like to bring things from different environments sounds like you've done exactly that in the book um it looks like on the cover you've got johnny wilkinson and jessica ennis hill so and uh, any any other names in there that yeah that- so so obviously it's you know the, the famous people were nice to you know get you know people are obviously drawn in by those and, and um johnny wilkinson yeah, they were they were all great there was i got I managed to get hold of steve redgrave nice and uh, Chris Hoy and Asta Brownlee who lives up in Yorkshire near me. So, um, and uh, who else have we got? I went back in time a little bit. I managed to get hold of Stefan Edberg, who's obviously into squash. Yep. He was, I was a massive fan of his when I was a kid. So that was a real, that was, I was very nervous before <laughs> that one. Cause he, you know, I remember watching him on TV um, all the time. Uh, Stuart Pierce was fantastic. And nice. Uh, but there's loads of others as well. I, you know, and I interviewed a, a couple of chefs that I really admire, and um, two actors, two writers. Um, so there was there was a real range. Um, Amazing. Uh, so yeah. yeah, brilliant. Oh, James, I cannot wait for that book to come out. And um, just probably final thing: what 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 is next for James Wallstrop in 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 your life? What you got a project coming up? Obviously, the book's just come out, so that's obviously a huge thing. But yeah, what's yeah. what's next? What's what's ahead for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I feel, I feel all right. I'm, I'm still a professional player, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, 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 the this 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 last year has obviously given given me it's probably been more beneficial to me than any other player on tour, probably because of where I'm at, and I I, I obviously don't need those volumes of work and all that playing experience like a lot of young younger players do. So it's probably not been the most horrendous thing for me because it's given my body a bit of time, which. 
might be a good thing in terms of playing a bit longer. Who knows? But we'll see when that, that happens. But obviously, I played a little bit in the winter in those those big tournaments that were put on by PSA. And that was great that they managed to keep a few tournaments going. And I'm enjoying it. So the body's fine, or it is at the moment. And if at some point it may break down and, and tell me otherwise, but I'm so pleased that I can. And so therefore, I'll, I'll keep going if I can for now. And um, it, it's, it's obviously helpful because I can write and do the things that I enjoy as well. But alongside, it's just a nice lifestyle. I'm forever grateful to, to being a squash player. So I'm just trying to hang on to it as long as I can. And uh, we'll see how it, see each month pans out, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like it's it's been wonderful to see you playing so well, man. You you you're in some serious good form, you know. In the last few tournaments, it's been great to watch. And sorry if I was implying you're retiring. There was wasn't even close to what I was saying. I was very much like the squash is great. I was thinking, yes, the book has been a nice external project. But James, listen, um, can't wait for tournaments to come back again. I know me for one looking forward to seeing you play i know a lot of people are and man massive success with your book hopefully i'm sure it's going to be really good all the all the players i'm going to be working with i'm going to be signposting it straight to that book as well but that's, that's, that's really kind and jesse to you as well it's it's an always a pleasure working with you and i, I wish you the all the luck with this and your project with the squash mind and great to hear about this i'll be doing some reading on it and listening okay. obviously and, uh, you, you, good luck you're a true, true, true gents and yeah, always had a lot of good time for you. So thank you very much, man. And let's touch base again soon. Brilliant. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Yes. Presence. Process. Persistence. The essence of Squash Mind. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.